Welcome to Grit, Guts, and Determination, the Leadville Race Series podcast. I'm your host, Cole Clover, son of race founder, Ken Clover. We are entering our 40th year and are very excited about this reunion with you, our Leadville family. And in this third season of Grit, Guts, and Determination, we are going to continue to explore the rich storytelling and eccentric stories made up by all of you, our Leadville family. Those of you who are new to our family, get out those pens and papers because those lessons are going to come at you as quick as race day. Okay, Leadville family, sit back, enjoy, and as always, we can't wait to see you at home. We can't wait to see you in Leadville. Leadville family, I've got a lively one for you today in the name of Randall Bike Bennett. Now, Randall is anything but ordinary, and he's put 110% at everything he's met head on. Uh, How I met Randall was volunteering at the finish line at our 100-mile events, and today I'm proud to call him my brother and think it's time more people have heard his story. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Well, Randall, we have a saying in Leadville. You don't find Leadville, Leadville finds you. When did Leadville find you? Well, hi, Cole. Good afternoon. Um, well, a quick little story. Um, in t- I was uh, joined Lifetime Fitness back, goodness gracious, 2008 or nine here. In, uh, I live in Cary, North Carolina. Uh-huh. And- and I would go to the – I started going to the spin classes. I was trying to get in shape. <laughs> I was way <laughs> overweight. I was like, like 282 pounds, and I was uh, – and they had these ads up on the screen for something called Leadville, and it was like, why are they showing this mountain bike stuff? You know, we're in a spin class, and it's road riding here. So that's the first time I was exposed to it. But then what happened is uh, I, I went to one of our club rides here, uh, one of our teams, CBC, uh, and uh, as everyone knows – Susie Talley is Leadville Susie. She showed up and she had kind of taken some time off. She'd been doing marathons and uh, I think some triathlons. And she showed up at one of the rides and she said, Hey, I'm training for this thing called Leadville. And if any of you can ride during the day, I, I have to get longer rides in uh, during the week. So uh, this guy, Cubby Fox, and uh, you know Cubby. So Cubby and I and another lady named Linda Hatfield, who was one of the spin trainers at uh, Lifetime, we our schedules were flexible enough we could get rides in during the day. So we started doing long road rides during the day. And Susie and Linda would – would would kill us. <laughs> they just wouldn't <laughs> stop coming up. Like, let's stop every two miles and drink some water. And uh, and so uh, then I started learning more about Leadville. And uh, Leadville Susie was like, I've got to go out and do this thing. I've been wanting to do it for years. And she was telling me about this guy named Ken, and he's the ultimate like cowboy out there that started this. And uh, so anyway, she goes out in 2016 and does it. And I remember sitting here on Saturday and watching the timing uh, as I'm watching college football. I had my computer up and I keep refreshing and watching when she finished and she finished. And, and uh, you know, it, we were all celebrating back here that she had made it. And so then she came back and she said, you guys have to go to Leadville with us. And I didn't even have a mountain bike hole. Um, Cubby and I said, sure, why not? So, <laughs> so that's a, so May 29th of 2018, a mountain bike arrived at All Store Bike here in Cary. 
Uh, Peter, their owner, helped me set it up, and I think I arrived in Leadville about June 15th. I was able to spend the summer there, and everybody said, hey, you're going to kill yourself. They said, seriously, you're going to Leadville to learn to ride a mountain bike? I'm going, like, yeah, I guess. And I showed up, and sure enough, I did fall. I did have bruises and cracked ribs before it was all over. But that's how I ended up in Leadville, is Leadville Susie uh, convinced us, I was just come out and do a mountain bike ride, and uh, then we were out there uh, holding on for our lives, and it's, it's been a great ride ever since. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, hey, I think we're going to slowly unpack just about everything you mentioned um, but before we get there, you know, I believe everybody has this very fascinating story that I bring onto this podcast. And I believe there's a reason that Leadville found them and, and they take part of that magic away, if not bring some themselves and you're no different. So let's level set on you and uh, what life was like uh, well before we dig into your bike career, well before we dig into your working career, your high school career, um, your roots. How you know? L let's okay. hear how life started for you. Well, um, Cole, I feel very you know honored and blessed because I've had the opportunity to live uh, as a coming up in a family that was hand to mouth and but at the same time uh, was able to uh, with the support of a lot of friends and families go to college and then go out and work and then start my own businesses and have a, a, a level of success a degree of success with that and uh, and I think that is one of the reasons that I find, you know, Leadville, when I, when I show up in Leadville, it's like stress and worries go away. It, it, it's, it's like home. It really is. Uh -huh. And so, uh, I, I, I was born in, um, well, let me just step back a second. So my, my mom, um, she was raised with a family on basically a depression era farm. Yeah. Very, very poor. And they literally did go to bed hungry. And so my mom at 18 graduated from high school. She got married. She had three children. Um, the marriage, she was married to a much older gentleman who had been in World War II, had been a um, World War II prisoner. And for whatever reason, it didn't work out. And they divorced. And so then now she has three kids. And uh -huh. She's a young woman and she's trying to support them. So we, we ended up living back at my grandfather's farm, my grandfather and grandmother um, uh, on my mom's side. And then, uh, well, I wasn't born yet. And then my mom, she went to Charleston to work there because um, there was better jobs in manufacturing at the ports in Charleston. Met a, met a gentleman there, married him, and had me. So now she has four children. <laughs> their marriage, their marriage lasted fourteen months after I was born. <laughs> so back to the farm in Hickory Grove, South Carolina, just outside of Conway, which is by Myrtle Beach in South Carolina, to give you a reference point. Okay. And um, so now. You know, on the farmers, my grandfather, my uncles, cousins, and I loved it. I, I'm a young, as I'm growing up, I had uh, actually a lot of support in my grandfather and my uncles and aunts and people in the community. And I think that kind of reminds me of Leadville. When you go to Leadville, because, you know, I'm not the um, Howard Gross or <laughs> the, you know, these, these guys that are super just gifted. Um, 
But so when I'm in Leadville, there's we have this whole group that supports each other. And I'll, I'll go back to that later. But yeah. So anyway, we just, uh, you know, I lived there. I didn't understand how poor we were. I thought everybody had two pair of blue jeans to wear during the week, during the summer. We wore, we cut off the blue jeans we'd worn during the winter and wore those and went barefooted because shoes cost too much to buy. Um, but for a little boy, it couldn't have been any better. I could, there was, a, I had so much freedom that I could run down through the woods. I could go down to the river. I was, as I kept growing, I, uh, at eight years old, I was, I was hunting and fishing and, and it was a little different for my two sisters. Um, again, they, they couldn't necessarily have the best, you know, dresses or the best shoes and, and stuff. Uh-huh. So for, but for a little boy, it was the greatest thing in the world. I loved it. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. And, uh, but I had no idea how, how hard it was until later in life. You, you look back and you go, wow, you know, my mom was working two or three jobs. Uh, my, uh, grandparents were helping support us. Uh, we ate, we ate what we grew. Uh-huh. Um, my grandfather, you know, always had some pigs and a cow, and and basically that's that's how we lived. And my grandfather was a a tobacco farmer, but he didn't have a lot of acreage, so we never had a lot. And so that's how I was raised. But again, because I was the youngest, and everybody looked out for me, I had no idea how poor we were. Uh, and it just makes you appreciate later in life when you're able to obtain certain things or do certain things or travel in the world or meet you know certain people it, it makes you very appreciative so really leadville and i i can tell you more later reminded me of growing up on this farm because we would walk across each other's farms we would help each other out um, you know, there was no, there, there wasn't signs of no trespassing. You know, we might right. go over and say, Hey, Miss Vault, can I fish in your pond? Or Mr. Lee, you mind if I go squirrel hunting back in your <laughs> woods? And it, it was fine. You know, we had certain rules that we followed, but everybody looked, uh, looked out for each other. And again, that's what Leadville has been to me. It's, it's almost like ordinary people coming together to help each other create extraordinary things. Uh, so, so that's my start. I, I started out <laughs> pretty poor. Now, as being the youngest kid, uh, I got picked on a lot because my, my hair was literally, I don't even want to say red. It was orange. It was so flaming red. Okay. So I, I, I always had a lot of people picking on me. And, of course, I had so much energy all the time. And I, I remember one time my uh, brothers and some friends were playing football at the little local elementary school or try on a Sunday afternoon pickup. And I just kept running on the field and grabbing the ball because I wanted to play. And I was probably five years old. So they took me over to the flagpole, wrapped the rope around my waist, through the loops of my jeans and pulled me about halfway up, tied me up there and went back to playing football. <laughs> so, um, but you know, my childhood, my childhood was wonderful. Uh, so okay. I, I really enjoyed that. Well, okay. So you're totally poor. You don't know it. Life's real good. And, <clears throat> And so now then we go just a little further in your life and in I guess it is around third grade, your life takes another turn and you gain a parent. What's the story there? So, so my mom finally saved up enough money. She moved us to a house that was a whole country house in the back of a, we call it broom straw, but this tall straw filled. Once again, as a boy, 
loved it. Um, uh-huh. it. It had a the river behind the creeks, ponds. It had a natural mineral spring. Um, it, it, and again, uh, I loved it. And so my mom was working all the time, so I had complete freedom. And it's a wonder that an alligator or a snake or something did get because I was always in the swamp. So sometimes literally wading up to my neck, trying to get over to little island, islands and and so one day I walked kind of through the woods. There was an old country store I'd go up to, to to grab a soda and a snack. And this car comes flying up, and it's this brown, just ugly Dodge Plymouth car. <laughs> and this guy jumps out. He runs over and starts to pump the gas, and he has one arm. And it freaks me out. I'm, I'm, I'm just like, oh, my gosh, that guy's only got one arm. And as a young kid, you didn't really know how to handle that. And right. And I just, I saw him. And so anyway, I just thought to myself, wow, that's so sad. That poor man has one arm. So so a few days later, my mom said, hey, I met this guy. He's going to come over and take uh, take us to play putt-putt tonight. (laughs) So here comes this (laughs) beat-up dodge. (laughs) And this one-armed man jumps out. And immediately, we just click. And, and honestly, he reminds me a lot of your dad. He was bantering with me, picking with me. But one thing I remember about that night is we go play putt putt in Myrtle Beach. Uh-huh. And every putt, if he didn't make a hole in one, he'd say, Oh my, you know, man, I got to get better. And I thought he was joking. He wasn't joking. <laughs> he, he, was, he was cutting up with us, but he was very sincere about it. So that's so you know I find out later on he's he was playing Super Bowl golf tournaments with one arm, and what he did is he could probably back then drive the ball about 180 yards, maybe 200 on a lucky strike okay. with one arm. But what he had mastered was putting. Okay. So when they did the Super Bowl tournaments, he he was always the putter. So he practiced endlessly. So whether it was at the, <laughs> the golf course there, one of the golf courses at Myrtle Beach, or at the putt-putt course, uh, he was out to win. And okay. every putt he was good out to make. <laughs> so so to make a long story short, my, he, he came into our life. He actually started serving as a daddy before he married my mom. Uh, then he married and he adopted, adopted me when they got married and he just, he was my dad. He was the only dad I ever knew because I never met my biological dad. So down around Charleston, South Carolina, Mount Pleasant, that area, I have a lot of um, cousins, some half brothers and sisters that I've never met. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, so that, that totally changed our life because he had played basketball at Wake Forest University you know, you're here in the ACC conference, and uh, so there was no question. You went to school, you made great grades, you were going to go to college, you worked. I mean, it was just, it, it, there was no question. So, and then, of course, I gained two brothers, and he had, he had two, two sons. And, of course, I, I, you know, Cole, I was always getting myself into trouble. So I'd be at the pool hall playing, you know, older kids for a dollar, and, I, and if I beat them, then I would... I would start bantering and razzing them. And so my dad's like, told my, you know, his two sons, you've got to protect this kid because they're going to beat him to death. <laughs> <laughs> and there were multiple times where my brothers had to step in and pull people away from me because 
and I and I could be a little braver because I knew that I had those two brothers there all the time. Yeah, and then and then of course my older brother, um, uh, you know, he was there too, and so. Uh, I, they saved me from a lot of butt kickings. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> that I deserved, by the way, because my mouth—I would run my mouth, and um, uh, it didn't matter what I was doing. That I, I was going to talk, you know, talk a game. Today, I would be have to have two technicals in the first twenty seconds of any game we kicked out. <laughs> <laughs> so that totally changed our whole family dynamics. He came in and just. Um, he treated all of us uh-huh. just like his and raised us just like his. Okay. Yep. Okay. Now, now you say he played basketball in college. Now, was he always one armed? He, he lost his arm after college. So he owned a tire shop. And I mean, that hits close to home. That's what my dad and uh, his brother and their dad did. Okay, I didn't realize that. <laughs> so this was before, um, you know, this is before he came into our lives. But he he had two tire shops. Had one in Lower South Carolina, one in Conway, South Carolina, there outside of Myrtle Beach. Um, and granted, this is before he came into our lives. But he he explained this to all of me and his two sons were my two brothers. And of course, his two uh, uh, sons uh, explained it to me. He had a fr- uh, had a friend that called up and. It was on a Sunday, and of course, no one was open on Sunday. And he had a flat tire on a big trailer he used to pull a, a houseboat. Uh-huh. And he hadn't used this trailer in a long time. He needed to get the houseboat out of the river uh, to take it to have it serviced, and the tire was flat. So he called my dad. My dad said, hey, run over, and um, I'll, I'll fix it for you. And my dad at that point, um, this is a horrible joke, wasn't really hands-on okay. <laughs> anymore with it. And, uh, and he started changing the tire. He put it up. I know you've seen those uh, big uh, tire changers. You put uh-huh. the tire up on top. And once he had patched it and he started to fill it back with air, he didn't secure it down, and it exploded. And he was uh-huh. leaning over it, and it, it, it basically crushed his face and skull, tore his arm, his left arm off pieces, which, by the way, oh, he was left-handed, right? So he had his left hand inflating the tire there was an 18 foot roof there and the tire to give you some idea went through the roof so you have to remember from a tire it it talks about psi that's per square inch so if you have a tire that is i don't know like an 18 inch tire let's say 18 18 328 times 30 that'd be 9700 pounds of pressure (laughs) (laughs) and this was a huge tire like would go on a tractor trailer right so um so that was before, you know, I met him. Well, that he, they were the they were able to do a tracheotomy there, keep him alive. They transferred him to Florence, South Carolina. Then he was in the hospital in Charleston for nine months. But you know, one of the things, wow. um, yeah, one of the things he told me, uh, he had twelve surgeries on his face. They wanted to do a thirteenth, and he said, "Nope, I'm a little too superstitious. I'm not doing it." Okay, <laughs> but. but uh, but he told me he was in the hospital in Florence, and he was—he couldn't talk, he couldn't move, but he heard the doctors talking about, well, uh, actually, he was telling his mother, my grandmother, uh, the doctors were, he'll never make it till morning. Oh, my God. And he said, and uh, he said, I could hear them, but I was, like, paralyzed. I couldn't talk, I couldn't move, my face is crushed. And he said, but I could hear them. And he said, that's what you think. <laughs> oh, God. So, so... 
fast forward many years, I can tell you many little stories, but my dad could have taken hundred percent disability and he wouldn't take it. He said, I'm coming back out. I'm going to work. I'm going to set an example for my kids. And that's what he did. And so um, I'll never forget one time on Christmas morning and I'm veering off a little bit cold, but the, the, um, the, the sewer system at our house was clogged up under the house feeding one of those rotor rooter things. Like he's turning it and I'm feeding it down the pipe and he's going, hurry up, hurry up. People are coming for Christmas. Just hurry up. Get, get. And, I'm, and I yell back at him. I'm like 18 or 19. I'm going, you know what? I only have two. And I stopped. <laughs> and he leaned over and looked under the house and he said, you only have two what? Nothing. He said, that's what I thought. Get that thing on. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so he was, a, he, he was an absolute role model for all of us. And, uh, and like I said, he, he would sit down with me and say, okay, here's the grades I expect you to make. And he didn't monitor like every test. He didn't like, let me see what, what you guys had. He said, every six weeks back then we got our report cards. And I remember I came home one time with a C and he said, he looked at the report card and he said, um, okay, you're on probation. If you come home next time, you, you're off all sports teams and come home with another C. And I said, well, you know, dad, you, 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 gosh, that's, if you have a D average, you can stay on the team. He said, that's the school rule. He said, my rule was all A's and B's. <laughs> he said, and I overruled the coach in the school. So <clears throat> I told my kids that later on when they were playing sports and they said, so dad, what did you do? I said, <laughs> that was in the seventh grade. I said, I think I had two B's from the seventh grade to the time I graduated from high school. Cause if he told you he was not going to back, go back and back on it. <laughs> <laughs> so as you, you can imagine, I think you might see some traits of my dad that you see in your dad. Well, sure, but I mean, let's be real. If I came home with a C, we were popping the champagne. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, what he would do, Cole, he would sit there and say, I know you, you, you have the ability to make an A or B in this course, right? Right. And he would do that with all of us. And, right. And, and uh, you know, certain subjects I wasn't as good at. If I had a B, he didn't you know, get home. And then, then my mom would always say, if I came home with a really good report card, she'd say to my dad, and his name was Tate. She'd say, Tate, don't you give Randall $5 or something. So he can go to the movies and he goes, he would go, he's not doing it for me. <laughs> <laughs> but then later on, he'd kind of sneak around to me and say, here, here's $5, you know, go, uh, you know, back then $5 was a lot of money. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, go, go do something or whatever. But, uh, and then, um, and then in high school, in basketball, he never he missed three of my games from the time I was in the seventh grade. I graduated from high school, and on his the last week of his life, he was still apologizing. Oh <laughs> God! So, so when he came into our life, it really it just changed the dynamics of the whole family. And and trust me, my mom, unbelievable, sacrificed for us, unbelievable woman, but. We were getting out of control. No <laughs> you know, <kidding>. more, <laughs> we were we were doing some stuff down in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. You know, the flower power stuff was going on in the sixties and into the seventies. And uh, and so he moved us from the outside of Myrtle Beach to Wilmington, North Carolina at the time, because he uh, he said, I gotta get you guys out of here, you're gonna get in trouble. And we were. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> 
What's okay? So you both have you have a little bit slower start, but you're learning those digging deep lessons way too early, and then you know here's your second dose of that. But now let's let's start slowly unpacking the other side of you. Um, you said he's going to take away sports now. I'm thinking you don't sound like much of a runner right now. What's going on? Well. You know, I, I wasn't playing sports, um, and then when my dad came on, he was huge in the sports. And really, his dream his whole life was to—he wanted to be—he really wanted to be a coach. I think he's, uh, it's, and so he immediately, uh, once he came to my life, he used, he got me involved in baseball. You know, youth league baseball, uh-huh. youth, youth league basketball, and youth and football. Okay, that was kind of the three sports um, that we had. And uh, and I didn't know, I really didn't know the rules. And and so he would work with me and work with me and work with me. And um, so then I just loved it. I just had a passion for it. But part of that too, Cole is I wanted to be like him. Right. So, right, he had played college basketball. He had he had uh, lost an arm and was, was playing golf. He'd go out and shoot basketball with me. Uh, he would play softball uh, with one arm. And so, you know, I'm like, man, I want to be like this guy. I want to be like my dad. So, uh, but, but, you know, we, so I was out in the country. We had moved in town. He, we, he signs me up for all these sports, and I didn't know anyone. And I would show up, and these kids knew how to play. They'd been playing probably since they were five, six years old. And now I'm in the fourth grade, third, fourth grade, and I didn't know what to do. And they would laugh at me. And I, so I'd go home, and, uh, and of course, we live in this little community in Conway, South Carolina. We could ride our bike mm-hmm. to the, the, the local park in 12th Avenue for practice. And my dad came home one day, and I wasn't at practice. And he said, what? Hey, you don't have practice today. I said, I quit. He said, No, you don't. You <laughs> <laughs> said, you, You're going to play. And so so he started working with me. And um, so, <laughs> and so the, the um, and then of course, I, I don't know, I just had this natural competitiveness and I just wanted to get better and better and better. And I wanted to win. And I just, and and I was always running and jumping and just trying to be better. It, it, and if I saw someone who was better, then I would want to know how they did it. Uh-huh. And I would ask them or I would watch them. And in some cases, I could actually maybe get as good as them or, or not. But so as time went on, I, I just – and I love basketball because in, back then in the ACC, the Atlantic Coast Conference, it was – the premier basketball conference and everybody watched basketball. That's what you did. And, mm-hmm. and so I love playing basketball and because that had been his favorite sport also. And so I just, continue, I was playing all the time, anywhere, everywhere I could play. But Cole, I'll, here's another little story. Um, my dad. So normally I turn into a really, really good hitter. And so the baseball season starts, we're going into the third game and I hadn't had a hit yet. And I'm just really down and out. Right. So, so my dad, he takes a broom handle, shorts it, you know, cuts it through the length of a bat, takes tennis balls and he takes me out between these two buildings. He said, listen, and he started coaching me and he said, one of the things you're doing, you're stepping away from the plate like you're scared of the ball, let it hit you. And he, so now he's having to do this course with his right hand because he'd lost his left arm years before. So he had to learn to use his right hand. And he's pitching and making me hit these tennis balls with a broomstick. 
And then he would hit me every now and then with a tennis ball, which didn't really hurt. But he kept hitting me. He said, don't move. The ball's going to hit you. Take the base, right? And so anyway, that was on a Sunday. Well, on Monday, we had a baseball game. I show up. I get three pitches and warm up, and I'm just slamming the ball. I can just, man, I'm just slamming it. And so lo and behold, here comes the umpire to the game. Guess who the umpire was? (laughs) Your dad. dad. (laughs) I come up first bat, and I mean – 30 feet over the fence. I just, first home run I ever hit in my life. I mean, just smashed it. I'm so excited. <laughs> when I ran third, my dad reaches back in his pocket, pulls a little whisk broom out and starts sweeping the plate off as I come to the plate. And my dad, dad, he goes, no, 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 can't talk to you, can't talk to you. No, 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 go away, go away. <laughs> the last week of his life, he was still apologizing to me for that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, so anyway, I got into sports. I really wasn't into biking. We had bikes uh, when we could keep them repaired. Again, we had no money. Right. So if the bike broke, it may be a while before we could get it fixed. It wasn't a priority. And so our mode of transportation, if we went anywhere, is I would I would either bike or run. That's how I got there. Especially, you know, before I had friends who had cars. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so biking was just... That was a mode of transportation. It wasn't a sport. <laughs> sure, sure. Okay, so now, like, you talk about these stories with your athletics and your dad's got you motivated and you're finding a competitive edge. Well, were you good at any? Did this matriculate into college or uh, did you leave well, it behind in high I, school? You know, I was, you know, Cole, I got pretty good at um, all of the sports I, I because I, I – just like coming to Leadville, I just started, I threw myself into it with uh-huh. everything I had. So anytime I would do something, I would just put everything I had into doing it because that's what I was taught to do. If you want to do something, then do it well, do it right, do it the best you can. Uh-huh. And um, so um, I was playing football up until the eighth grade. Then I <clears throat> decided to play soccer and had a really good little soccer career through high school. And then I played baseball and I was a pitcher and a catcher in baseball and um did real well with that in high school but then my true love was basketball so i i played basketball all the time so we when we moved from outside of myrtle beach south carolina to wilmington north carolina i I didn't realize the racial strife that had been happening in wilmington north carolina but there had been riots and buildings burned all i knew is i loved playing basketball so we moved there and the first year we lived in an apartment so um, I started asking around, where's the best basketball? And they said this place called 8th Street Center. I'm going, great. So I think back then, you know, you'd look on a map. You know, they'd try to tell you yeah. how to get there. And I got on my little bicycle and went over to the 8th Street Center. And that's where I played basketball at the time. Well, 8th Street Center was in the middle of the area where the buildings had been burned and the rights had happened and all this. Now, here I am, this fleeing red-headed, fair-complected guy, and I'm in the middle of, you know, this place over here. I'm the only white person there. And I I went over all the time and played basketball. But, man, you're talking about great basketball. So back in, the, back in those days, um, I don't know what was going on in Wilmington. It must have been something in the water. But the number of athletes in that area that ended up, you know, in major colleges or in the pros was amazing. Um, and so there was a guy named Sam Pelham that played for the Atlanta Hawks. There was another guy named Chap Green that played in the NBA for a couple of years. 
And then as time went on, guys more my age, there was these, uh, the Tutu brothers. And I think um, they were Hawaiian, Samoan. Oh, my gosh. Huge, big, strong guys. Played college football. There was Timmy and Bobby Morrison. So I had all these guys surrounding me. And then there was a guy named Kenny Gaddison. was a couple years younger than me. He played in the NBA for years. Um, then, um, and probably the most famous guy that you would You've heard me talk about, and he and I were all county together the last two years in high school. We went to the different high schools, but we were on the all county team together. It was a guy named Michael Jordan, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, needless to say, uh, um, you know, many consider Jordan the greatest of all time, and I, I certainly think he is. If you look at his stats, and uh, LeBron's unbelievable. If you look at Jordan's stats, if he'd have played. 382 more games. He had to score 10,000 more points at the rate he was going if he could have maintained his health and hadn't missed the, you know, the seasons for baseball and uh, <laughs> other things. So, um, so I got to play with some really good guys. We had another guy named Ronjo Boney that was probably the best athlete of all. He was drafted in by the NBA or the NBA wanted him right out of high school, but back then you had to go, you couldn't go straight to the NBA. Well, actually you could, you go to NBA. He was drafted and for pro football. And unfortunately he just didn't have the family support structure around him to get there, mm-hmm. but just unbelievable, unbelievable group of athletes. So, I, so I went, I was actually recruited and went down to a small college in Florida, stayed three days and quit. <laughs> I'd never <laughs> been away from home. But it, I had a full scholarship there between athletics and academics. I came home with my dad. He almost fainted. <laughs> so I, I got on the Greyhound bus and didn't announce I was coming home and came home. And immediately back on the phone call and coach. So I ended up going to Campbell University, which is here outside of Raleigh. And so in high school, my jersey was actually retired. I was the all-time leading scorer and had a lot of high school records back in those glory days. And... Um, the uh, so I went to Campbell. The coach said, "Come walk on the team. I'll find some you know, money for you at some point." I went there, and Cole, I couldn't get off the bench. That, so in high school, I'm a star. In college, I couldn't get off the bench. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So now you step to the next level of the creme of the creme. And um, so I went to college. Two and a half years in, I went to the coaches um, at the time. So coach. Uh, uh, Jerry Smith and an assistant coach was a guy named Press Maravich. And if you ever heard of Pistol Pete Maravich, it was his dad. Okay. And I went to them and said, Hey, um, I'm, and, and literally, you know, here I am, 20, 21 years old, tears running down my face because I'm getting ready to quit something. I've been taught you don't ever quit, but I'm going to quit. And I said, I, I've, I'm going to concentrate on grades and graduate, graduate with honors. And so I'm quitting. And they tried and they said, No, 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 stick with it, stick with it. You're doing great. And Press Maravich, Pistol Peach dad, loved me to death, and he tried to talk me out of it. I said, no, I have, you know, I, I, listen, let me be honest with myself. I, I, I'm 5'9", I really can shoot, I can dunk a ball at 5'9", but you've got guys on the team 6'8", that can do all of that, and better than me, right? Yeah. And so, I should have stuck, <laughs> I should have stuck with soccer or something <laughs> else. <laughs> and uh, so they said, well, will you be, will you come back? And this was kind of a, you know, hard ego thing. Will you become a team manager? And, but we want you to run, do all the tutoring of the players and run the study hall for the players. And you can still travel with the team, get all the benefits. And then when you graduate in a year and a half, apply to graduate school and we'll hire you as a graduate assistant coach. 
I'm going, wow, that'll be great. That'll be a great thing to do. And of course, in that season, the coaches got fired. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's like, I, yeah, I better finish school, get a good degree and get a good job coming out of school. So to answer your question, I played at a fairly high level. I got to play with some really, really good people. Um, I got to play with some of them. I got to play against some of them. And then when I came to Raleigh, North Carolina, I, I live right outside of Raleigh, I played in a league here called Chavis League. And back then, all the college players and pros would come home for the summer. And it was the who's who of college players and pro players in the summer league. And so that was a lot of fun. But I was actually better and stronger at 25 years old than I was at, you know, 20. And if, if I were in college today, I think some of these guys are in college that are about 30, and plus they're getting name and image likeness money. So I, I'm going to check and see if I have any, uh, uh, any, any more time left. I can go back to college, Cole. <laughs> 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 but, yeah, it was a fun run. I enjoyed it. Well, yeah, good luck with that. But, hey, it sounds, <laughs> it sounds like you made a lot of hay with what you had to deal with. I mean, if they're – you know – they retired your jersey. I mean, I was I won district in a foot of snow with Frank Mintz, and, and he just all he ever tried to retire was me. So, okay, now you're okay. So you're out of basketball, but you know we know what you put into that. We know you what you put in just a life. I'm guessing your career kind of takes the same path. What does that yeah, look like? Well, I, I, you know, I started interviewing in college for jobs, and um, and I had a lot of offers from from major corporations, from IBM, from General Electric. I actually worked an internship with General Electric while I was in college, and then I worked another internship with Warehouse Corporation. But I always wanted to own my own business, and I said I thought the best thing for me to do is go work for a small business so I can see how it operates. So I came out of college and went to work for a uh, small computer firm. Uh, PCs were just really starting to hit the market at that time. And uh, this is back in 86. Okay. And, and so I, I, I went down that path. And I, and, and I stayed in that market. I stayed working. I continued to work for people for a couple of years. And then uh, I decided in 1989 to go out and incorporate and start my own business. And the, the company I was working for at the time, a small company, we had maybe 35, 40 employees, but we were very successful in selling hardware. And I decided I would go and learn how to network computers together. You know, everything's networked together, but back then they were not. So I went to school and learned how to do that. And I came back and I said, and I, I told the owner of business, I said, I want to do the networking. And he really did not want to get into it. And I said, well, I think I'm going to go start my own business doing computer networking. And he said, well, I need you to stay with me until I find people to replace you. Because I was their top sales guy at the time. And not only was I selling, then when I'd come back at the end of the day, and then I would stay there all night and help build computers. A lot of nights we would do that. And uh, so it was really a team effort. And I ended up staying with him for eight more months. And finally I said, hey, Bob, I, I, I'm incorporated. we got another guy or two. I've got to get going. At that time, we had eight accounts that we were doing computer networking for. And he said, um, why don't you buy me out? We got right down to the, literally the night before that I, we were going to sign the paperwork. And his wife um, stopped the deal because she had a lot of her friends working there in the business. And she asked me, she said, what are you going to do with so-and-so and so-and-so? I said, I'm going to give them two weeks notice because, you know, you're, they're your friends and you're supporting them. They're not my friends. <laughs> I'm not supporting them. So the next day, the deal was, was dead. <laughs> okay. 
so I went out and started uh, my first company. Um, we, we grew it. We were very successful with uh, in North Carolina. They give out a Fast 50 award each year. So for uh, a few years, we were a Fast 50, one of the top Fast 50s growing companies in North Carolina. Um, and then I stepped out of that. But I, I brought a partner in who uh, just changed our changed the whole business model. This guy was. Uh, had been very successful, had nationally been in the, uh, the Inc. 500 a few times. And we so we built that out, and then we both stepped away because I, I decided I wanted to go do cybersecurity. So then I'm, he and I had another company we'd put together called Pence Technologies where we were contracted with a group called Trio that was working with Ericsson, and we also had success with that. And then I went out and started a cybersecurity company. But the challenge I had is I had a covenant not to compete with my partner. So what we did is we we sold the company to the to the employees and but we also had an agreement if they didn't hit certain numbers or keep profit at a certain level, then we had a right to come back and take the company over. Okay. So so I go out and I start the cybersecurity company, but there were a lot of things I couldn't do because it would be competing with the company that, that Mike and I had had. So I called him up one day and I said, Mike, here's here is you know, according to our shareholders agreement, here here's how much it would cost me to buy you out. The company's not hitting, hitting the numbers that we sold to the employees. Um, there's a lot of things going on that aren't, aren't right. I said, will you take this much? And he said, yes. So two days later, I had a certified check in his hand. Um, I walked in the company, walked all the officers out and took the company back over and brought the employees from the cybersecurity company. We merged two companies together. <laughs> <laughs> So then we started down the path to, to cybersecurity. So that's what I did until, you know, I sold that company to a private equity back group out of New York um, in 2013 and then stayed with them until the 1st of 2018, right? Almost to, uh, I guess, January 2018. So that's a okay. little bit about my history. So I've, I've always been in technology coal and I've always been, um, had more of an entrepreneurial spirit, I guess you would say. Because I just thought that's yeah. what you did. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So now that part of your life's going great. But I, I made a little note earlier. And in, 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 uh, in 2012, you said you were up to like 282 pounds. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, life's going well. Things are, man, I'm getting to go to all these places. I'm getting to go to all these dinners. I'm meeting all these people. <laughs> and now I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with making these businesses work right. <laughs> Get married in 1990. Uh, we, we had our first kid literally almost nine months later. Uh, second kid 15 months later. And, of course, I'm trying to be like my dad. I want to be at everything that they have going on. I'm trying mm -hmm. to run this business. And so now, instead of playing, you know, adult league sports, because I, I had been playing adult league basketball and soccer and softball and things, uh, now I'm working all the time and coming home and you know, chasing kids. And that's no excuse, but, you know, next thing's 10 pounds and it's 20. And next thing you know, I look like the Michelin tire man. <laughs> 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 so, yeah, so I put on quite a bit of weight and, um, I'll never forget when I picked up my son one day from school when he was about six years old and he started crying. And I said, well, Tony said, I don't want you to die. And I'm going, what do you mean? He said, you know, one of his friends at school said, your dad's like, you know, really big and heavy. I'm sure he didn't quite say it that way. But he said, he's going to die. He's going to have a heart attack and die. And my son's like, you know, 
Dad, I don't want you to die. And he's going to say, hey, I'm not going to die. Right. <laughs> so anyway, I put on all this weight. So in 2010, I'm actually setting up in, Pen- in Philadelphia with my daughter. She was in college there at the University of Pennsylvania. And uh, at May 4th, 22nd, her birthday, and I just said, hey, you know what? I'm not happy uh, with myself. I'm just totally miserable. I've got to do something about this. And so that night, we went to Dave & Buster's on the waterfront in Philly. And I said, okay, starting tomorrow, I'm changing things. And uh, so I, I, I had an uncle and a cousin both need to lose weight. I'd also, we'd gone to a family reunion and I saw pictures. In fact, my cousin called up and he said, did you see us in those pictures? And I'm like, yeah, it's not good. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I started down the weight loss path at that point in 2010. And, um, so, but my niece, so, uh, you know, I'm still trying to play soccer. I'm still trying to play basketball and, and, um, and I'd get compliments like at lifetime fitness from the basketball court. I'm like, Oh my gosh, you're, you're fast for a big guy or you can jump. For a big guy. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know if that's a compliment or not, but anyway, but it is niece, there. We got great pickup games. <laughs> <laughs> and so then my knees just wouldn't handle it anymore. And I ended up having to have knee surgery, um, in late 2010, and um, the doctor said, well, he said, you know, it was more extensive. There's a lot of cartilage missing behind both knee, knee uh, caps, and uh, they, they did surgery on my right knee. He said, I expect you'll be back in a year for uh, your left knee. And he said, if you don't stop running and jumping, Cole, that's all I did. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to find something else to do. And so I joined Lifetime, and I started going to a few spin classes, and I'd never been to any, but I started going because I've got to do something. I was riding the life cycle out on the floor. I, you know, interesting enough, I could do the Stairmaster, and I, I um, it didn't hurt my knees, because I guess because my knees stayed kind of semi-bent the whole time. Okay. So I could do that. And uh, so then um, one of my wife's friends, uh, this lady named Ann had started, had been riding with the Lifetime Cycle Club. She said, oh, my gosh, you should come ride with us. It's so much fun. So I said, well, I don't even have a bike. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a company called Performance Bicycles, and they're out of business now, but they had a national presence at the time. I went over and was looking for a bike. The guy takes me back into her house, and he had a used carbon bike. So I walked out there $1,500 later, which, uh, of course, now that doesn't sound like a lot compared to what people pay for their bikes now. Right. And I started biking and fell in love with it. Just I love the speed. I love the concept. I just love everything about it. So the, And it was road biking. So okay. I started road biking. So that's how I got into the biking. Okay. And then, and then you mentioned early on, you, you got hooked up with Susie, which was a bad choice on all of your parts. Yes. Um, so, uh, she's got you thinking about Leadville. You're learning about Leadville. When did you first try to get into Leadville? So, so she went out in 2016 and did it, as I mentioned earlier, did the Leadville 100 and, and we're all back here watching the timing loops and sharing her on. Came back, so let's put a team together. We for 2017, and we didn't get in. Um, we and so uh, Susie said, "Well, if we go out and volunteer, then you get you 12 hours of volunteer time. You get an entry, right? You still pay full price, but you you will get an entry." So we showed up. Well, the first thing that happened is. Um, she said, oh, you got to get there by Tuesday midday because we got to go to this guy's house called Doc, his party. I went there last year. It was great. 
I said, okay. So Cubby and I changed our flights. We weren't supposed to get out there to like Wednesday because we were volunteering Thursday and Saturday the day of the race. And so we changed our flights. We got there and went over to Doc's party. And I don't remember you being there, but I did meet your dad and uh, your mom, Pat, and Mary Lee because um, Susie had just said, you, you got to meet you got to meet Ken. You got to meet mm-hmm. Ken. So, so I met your dad there. Um, I busted his chops on a couple of things. He busted mine back. And it kind of honestly reminded me of my dad. And we just had a nice conversation. And then he told me a little bit about his political career and some of the other things that he had worked on. And so that was kind of our conversation there. Uh-huh. So, uh, so then on um, Thursday, uh, well, the next two days on Wednesday and Thursday, before we had to go over to check in, we climbed two 14ers, one on Wednesday and Thursday. And I thought I was going to die, <laughs> 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 but this is what Leadville Susie does to everybody, right? Oh, it's no big deal. We're just going to hike up and hike. Then we'll get started early. We'll back in time to volunteer. Like, okay, sure. Cubby and I were like, I've never had my legs so sore in my life, Cole. <laughs> so, so then we show up for, and um, volunteer Thursday for check-in, which was just a blast watching everybody come in and how excited they were. And then on Saturday, just by chance, they put us all at the finish line. So there was Cubby, Leadville, Susie, and me at the finish line. And, of course, we were there early setting it up, and then is your, your uh, you know, Marilee and Ken are there, and they start giving the medals out. And it was just, man, it was just inspiring watching all of this. It was exciting. Mm-hmm. It was, and, and, and it was amazing watching, I can't remember who won it in 2018. It might have been, been Howard Grotz. I can't remember. But it was a crazy time, like six hours, 18 minutes. And, or at least crazy to me. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, but what was so inspiring was once you got about nine and a half hours from there to 12 was watching people come in, watching their families there, their friends, watching the excitement of what they had accomplished. Um, and because once you do one and you realize how hard it is, you do feel good about it. You do feel really good that you've done this because I've got a friend going out this year's three-time Ironman twice in Kona. He's three times he's tried Leadville 100 and can't get it done. Right, yeah, okay. he's going to get it done this year. And it's and I've had people say to me that they have done full Ironmans that that were to them were easier than doing the Leadville 100 bike ride. So that's how that's how I showed up in Leadville. So at the finish line, had just a wonderful time. Uh, watching everything going on. I said, gosh, I just want to be a part of this. I just, I can't wait to get out here and, you know, do this race. So in 2018, that was my first year coming out and doing the, uh, the Leadville 100. Okay. Have you been back? Oh, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> in 20, 2018, um, I, I came out and uh, that year I did the Silver Rush stage races. I did course the level 100 i did over in breckenridge i did the uh, firecracker and then i showed up one morning just just for the fun of it i, I literally showed up when they were the countdown and did the breck epic one day ride and ended up second in my age group <laughs> 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 and uh so uh so and then in 2019 i 
was able to come out and do the stage races, Silver Rush and Buckle. And then 2020, of course, we didn't have it in 2021. I got out there. Um, my wife was diagnosed with cancer, which now she's 100% fine. And so mm-hmm. I came back and showed up, showed up about 10 days before the race and had not planned to do the race. But after... Um, uh, being pushed by Mike Hiddings and Doc and Leadville Susan, a bunch of other people. And then your dad one day said, you're doing this right. <laughs> <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> so I was able to do it and was able to get in and get a buckle. And then last year, um, I was able to come out and, in you know, in 2022, uh, unfortunately, I, I had COVID, so I... It took me a while to get back in shape, but I got out there and I was able to, to buckle again. And every year out there, Cole's been different. Every year, it's been a different story of everything that went on. But every year's been a wonderful year out there. Well, give us one of your better stories. Oh, gosh, man. Well, first and foremost, I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. So Leadville, it really does become like a home to you. It really is family. Uh, and so I went out and, and um, I was in 2018. And so Doc, uh, Bill Winmark, Doc Winmark, the guy just took so much time with all of us. Uh, you know, Susie was, mm-hmm. Susie pushed us every day. She made sure that we trained every day. It's like, oh my gosh, you know. And she had a schedule and it's like we every day we're riding or she's running or something because she was doing the lead, uh, lead woman or lead challenge. And um, so we go out and Doc is, he literally took a few different days, went over every inch of the course with us, literally, and explained it to us. And then there was a guy named Sam St. Pierre in 2018 that we chased the whole summer. And finally, I got to where I could stay on this wheel. So once I got to where I could stay on this wheel, I said, I think I'll be okay as long as I don't crash or, you know, have a mechanical, (laughs) you know, so I finally... So every year there's been a support cast, a crew out there that has made a difference in, in your life and pulling for you. But one of, one of the things, I can just tell you so many things, but playing to the Leadville family and the Leadville experience, I was doing the stage races. And so I take off the first day, I'm climbing up, um, getting ready to turn on Hagerman and, and Cody Waite's wife, Kathy Tankway, gets behind me. And she just is riding my wheel. And I look back, I said, oh, I get it. You know, little girl following the fat man. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> and we turn up Hagerman, and then we're just egging each other on, just pushing. So we uh, we get out to Twin Lakes first day. Next day, of course, up combine and down. And I'm looking at my time. I said, wow, I've got an opportunity to get the big buckle in the stage races. So the next day, I went up close to the front where you know, all the superstars were, where I was shouldn't have been. And I took off. And my goal was was to get um, you know, out of Twin Lakes, cross the road, up to pavement. And you, if I could get to where the pavement ends and it turns the dirt and, co- and you can coast down a little bit and rest, if I could just get there and get a good start, I was redlining the whole way up. Kathy Tankwake was yelling back at me, come on, come on. <laughs> and so to make a long story short, so, you know, I'm riding along. And then I, I, I'm, uh, there's a guy named Reed Bolonius with Carmichael Training Systems. He shows up with a group and then he starts telling us how to pace and what to do. This guy was so strong, Cole, he would run 500 yards ahead of us, grab, and say, don't stop, don't stop at the aid station. He'd, he'd take off, get way ahead of us, grab bottles of water, stick on his jersey, 
And then he would jump back in with us and hand us all water so we didn't have to stop. It was just crazy how strong this, this young man was. And I'll tell you more about him in a bit. So anyway, I'm coming um, where the Green Gate is on the way back. And as I come through that and I'm starting to go up that, that little climb, I wobble and run into the woods. I'm going, what the world? What in the world? My tire's going flat. So I quickly, looking at it, I don't see any, you know, uh, silica coming up. So Joe Craxner passes me. He's riding his single uh -huh. speed, of course. So I hit it with a CO2. I take off. Well, by the time I'm coming down Keevans, all of a sudden, once again, I'm all over Keevans. I get down to the bottom of Keevans. Of course, I have a geared bike. I take off, and my, my, my rim is literally, I feel it hitting the dirt and the rocks. I ride up to a couple of people and go, you have CO2? I can have you have CO2. And I get up to Joe Craxner, and here he is. Joe looks like he's just out on a casual stroll. And I said, Joe, Joe, do you have CO2? And he reaches under his seat, tears one off, hands it to me. I stop it into the pavement. To make a long story short, by the time I crossed the finish line at stage races, my tire was flat again. I ran into the railing because I couldn't make the 90 degree turn. <laughs> <laughs> but I came across the finish line, and I got the big buckle. Awesome. So, so, so again, the, the, every... Like I said, every Leadville experience, uh, 2019, uh, again, you know, you were there with us a lot in 2019. Uh -huh. uh, David Clark was training with us all the time. Uh, you know, Cubby was there. Uh, we, uh, again, and Frank, your high school tr uh, coach, oh, my gosh, every day he had us up early and riding. <laughs> and so, so we're chasing Frank. And I'll never forget, we climbed Columbine one day, and Cubby and I are ahead of Frank. But if you remember 2019, there was a lot of snow. Yeah. And there was snow covering part of the road up. If you got higher combines, Cubby and I were like knee deep pushing our bikes through the snow. Frank puts his bike on his shoulder. He runs around it, passes us, beats us up to the cabin top of Columbine's laughing at us. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, again, um, that year, if you remember, it was because uh, you were there a lot that summer. It was David Clark and you and me and, um, uh, Frank was pushing us. Sam, Sam was back. He was pushing us. Mm -hmm. Every year's been different. Every right. and every year's been great. And then in 2021, <clears throat> like I said, I left and I came back. Uh, I did come home and I was riding all summer, but I went back. And then Mike Idings kept pushing me. You've got to do this. You've got to do this. You know. Yeah. Uh, and then in 2022, when I showed up out there this year. So Cole, I was 20. I lost 25 pounds from June 20th until the start of the race. Right, I remember and, seeing it. Yep, and <clears throat> I showed up. I had COVID. I was way out of shape. Um, so you know, Grand, where there's you know, uh, level Susie's there, and uh, you know, Cubby's there, and he brought some more people from North Carolina. And this is the whole legacy of you know, level Susie. She's got this whole North Carolina contingency volunteering coming out there. And uh, but Donnie Douglas, the guy with you know Donnie, the guy with oh, a yeah. big mustache. So Donnie. Maybe I chased him all over the course of Leadville. And finally, one day we rode our bikes from Doc's house to Frisco, filled our water bottles, turned around, and he said, let's not, let's, let's not let our feet hit the ground or pavement till we get back. And I chased him all the way back to Leadville. And when I pulled up into the cul-de-sac, at that point, it was about three weeks, two and a half weeks before the race. I said, okay, I know I can do it. As long as I don't crash or have a mechanical or something, I know, I can, I know I'm good to go. But every year there's been people that 
have, you know, health and added and I've made tons of friends with. And that to me is a level experience, right? I never went out here thinking, oh, I'm going to win it. Right, right. <laughs> right. Especially starting in the mid 50s and never been a mountain biker guy. But that's what I see in Leadville is when, and, and, and I don't mean to parrot, you know, Ken and Mary Lee, but it really is family. When you show up there, especially the people that ride it, you know, the level I ride, everyone's helping each other. Everyone's supporting right. each other. Everyone's right. encouraging each other. And it is. It's a big family. It's a blast. It is a big family for sure. I look forward to the, those reunions absolutely more than anybody. How has the Leadville Trail 100 changed your life beyond race day? Well, you know, one thing is I've made tremendously good friends. It is... You know, when, when when I show back up, when I show up in Leadville and I just see, oh, my gosh, I, I, I hate calling names because I'm going to miss people. Certainly you and 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 watching what all you are doing now and to everything you're taking on. It's just but yeah, I show up in Leadville and there's you know, Ken and Marilee and, of course, your mom, Pat. And then, you know, I see Doc and, you know, his new wife, Ron. Of course, I guess they've been married a couple of years now. She's, and uh you know, and then, gosh, you know, there's Anahees and go over to the tree line and walk in. And I may not remember everybody's name, so they remember me from the guy that comes and hangs out her needs at the bar all the time. <laughs> and um, then this past year, uh, you know, there was a lady out there running from Denmark. And, of course, Frank, you know, I just always looking for Frank. And um, it, so I, I could just I hate going down the, the name and names because I, I know I miss people. But it's just so many people out there that have become friends. And I, every year I'm look. I want to show up. I want to hear what's going on. What are they doing? Are they doing the race this year? <laughs> and, you know, it's just, and, and here's a good example. And you know this about Frank, because Frank was not only your coach in several state championships, but also, you know, he was, you know, headed to the Olympics until we, the U.S. boycott the Olympics. Yeah. So Frank, Frank trained with us all summer in 2019. He was riding well. He was struggling with his bike, his fitting. He just didn't feel good about it. So a few days before the race, he comes over and he said, um, hey, I'm not doing the race. And, of course, we're all going, like, Frank, Frank, you have to do the race. And nope, I'm not going to be said, but what I am going to be is the best support person you've ever had. Well, so then remember I mentioned the, the young man, Rita Bologna. He was dating a girl at the time, a young lady. He was married to now named Nina. And Nina was actually potentially favored to be a winner. I think Grace won that year. But she was, yeah. you know, one of the top. Okay. So, so, so Frank's got this whole group of people put together, and Leadville Susie, you couldn't be at Leadville, but she flew out to be part of the support group. And so we had a meeting at Doc's house, and I get a call from Marie, and he said, "Hey, Randall, how do you do the drop sacks?" I said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, wait a minute! You're a top ten or fifteen rider at Leadville." you know, play for us finishing. Nina's favorite to win, and you guys are going to do drop bags? And he goes, well, yeah. I said, no, show up at Docs at 4 o'clock. It was like Thursday. Show up at 4 o'clock Thursday. We're supporting you. So Frank got this whole squad together, and I can't remember. It was like 10 or 12 people. And so Frank supported. He put it together, supported all of us. Of course, Don was there, and Ron, you know, and some other, some other Docs friends were taking care of him. Uh -huh. And and I think Reed came in 15th. Unfortunately, <laughs> Nina crashed twice. Oh. And when she got back down to the Twin Lakes area where Frank was, he pulled her from the race because she was literally 
you know, gosh, what's the right word? A little delusional because she yeah. had such bad concussions. But that's Frank. <laughs> <laughs> so, like I said, every year, every year it's been different and great stories. Um, um, and and so so now, Cole, you know, I'm entering a different phase of life in that. Uh, you know, I have my first grandkid back in December. I've got another one coming in March. So really. I've, I've resigned all the boards and different things where I was helping bike clubs and other things. And I said, I'm going to focus on uh, Leadville and I'm going to focus on, there's another ride in November that I help organize called Festivello. Um, so that's kind of the path I'm headed down now. Right. So every year it's been different and every year, uh, uh, some of the same people, but in a different group of people, right. um, you know, like this year, um, uh, you know, Susie crashed in 2022. Uh, her boyfriend was there to support us. And so he has, a, you know, his motorcycle. They have a place over in Beaver Creek and he can use his saddlebags and go, uh, you know, a little bit up the road there from the Twin Lakes alternate. So I get there in record time. And oh my gosh, and here's another cool thing I got to do. When I got to the bottom of Powell, I think I started an orange corral, which is like his, what, third corral or something. By the time I got to the, the pavement of Powerline, um, Ty Hall passed me already. <laughs> okay, but Ty is like, you, you know, he's he's been burning it up, and he's trying to eat gel and drink. And I pass him going up the little hill, we're going around the corner towards fishery. And I said, Ty, come on, come on, come on. And I said, you know what? I'm gonna try to help this guy any way I can. So from there all the way up pipeline to the first ramp, Ty stayed on my wheel, and I had PRs every <laughs> segment, Cole. And I felt so good about it. Then I had PRs out to the Twin Lake alternate. But I get there, and then um, uh, Ellie's not there, so he's his boyfriend uh, with my stuff. So now I'm looking for drinks. I'm riding around there for five or six minutes. Finally, some people gave me some water. I got up the top of Columbine, which normally I don't stop, but I had to stop because I needed nutrition. Came back down. Ellie still wasn't there. I didn't know Susie had wrecked yet. So I go over Twin Lakes. Uh, uh, Ron and Mike Iding's family, you know, uh-huh. proved me there, there. And then his brother, who was doing the race, but had gotten pulled, gave me his rain jacket because all that stuff was with Ellie, right? And they're at the hospital now over in Vell or somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the point being, once again, everybody just jumped in and took care of you. It, right. is, is, it truly is the Leadville family. And when I got to Pipeline, I stopped for 17 minutes. Right? I finished the race in 10, 17. I'm going, oh, God, if I just stopped for two minutes and not languished here, I could have been under 10, which for a guy like me is a golden. And uh, But, man, I enjoyed the experience. I got to talk to everybody. And once again, it was, the, it was just the whole Leadville family experience. Right. That was, yeah, so... But yeah, I, I could tell you so many stories, and you know, in 2019, we just we we laughed until we cried. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, your dad. Oh my gosh, he and I have such a good time bantering. But at the same time, we've had some really deep conversations as well. Reminds me so much of my dad, and it just, um, it, you know, it, it just. I, I remember 2018. Uh, it's like we have to volunteer more so we can get into these races. And I called up and was talking to Rich, and he said, "Well, you need to talk to Quinn." And I said, well, "You know, great. What, what, how, what's his number? How do I get in touch with that guy?" <laughs> and he goes, "Well, it's actually a lady." And then actually, Quinn told me later on. She said, "Actually, I was there listening to Rich talk to you. I heard you call me a guy." <laughs> <laughs> um, 2019, the Lifetime Foundation asked me to help 
with the dinner they put on. And uh, mm -hmm. that was interesting, right? Because we wanted to make sure that proceeds were going both to the Leadville Legacy and to um, uh, the Lifetime Foundation. And so I got to be really good friends with Barb at the time and Kelsey and of course at the time was at the store in Veronica. So again, when I go out there, it really is a homecoming. I get to go around and see all these people. And as you know, like this year, you called me up and said, hey, can you go help me pick up rocks? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, we gave uh, them to the winners, Randall. <laughs> I know. At least I got to be involved with the winners and at least a little bit some way, Cole. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Me too. Yeah. yeah. But no, it's all, uh, you know, Leadville has afforded me some really awesome friends. Um, yeah, you know, I'll never forget, and I think it was 2018 at the marathon, Lance Armstrong finished and Cubby, just like man, Cubby, uh, Lance Armstrong's his hero. And I went over and grabbed him by the arm and he looked at me like, who are you? And I pulled him up and said, my friend Cubby wants a picture with you. <laughs> <laughs> and he was really nice. Uh, uh, Floyd Landis met him uh, when I finished uh, in 20. I think it was 2021. He goes, hey, I, don't I owe you a drink? And I said, yeah, you do. And he pops a beer from PB, drinks half <laughs> of it, hands it to me and walks off. Um, and actually, he came here to North Carolina and rode with us. And Floyd sponsors a couple of events uh, like Festival and Raven Rock. So I've made a lot of friends out there. And, um, and, and, and But again, it goes back to my childhood. That's how I grew up. Everybody was taking care of each other. And you, were, you, know, you wanted to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Right. And so I, I can't wait to get back out of this year. In fact, I'm, I'm ready to go pack my car and leave now. <laughs> oh, well, all right. We'll take it because, yeah. you know, we need you back. And that's all part of that magic we talk about. So yeah. what what do you think of when you hear the word Leadville? Well, I, I, I'm, I'm repeating myself a call. But again, when I think of Leadville, several things come to mind. You know, the first and foremost is uh, it really is when you hear Canamara Lee get up and when and you, you know, you're, you're now taking this leadership position and, and leading Leadville forward uh, and you talk about family. Um, it really is a family. So you take the guys that are racing to win, you know, the, 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 you, you understand, I understand, they're racing. But when you get to where you're riding the, you know, nine and a half, 10 to 12 hours, it really is family and everybody's pulling for each other. So that's the first and foremost that comes to my mind. The other thing is, is uh, even with someone that, you know, I've been very fortunate and blessed to have some success in life, but there's times you start doubting yourself with things. And then you go like, wait a minute. <laughs> if I can ride up to the top of Columbine and back, and uh, live <laughs> and bring home a buckle, uh, you know what, I can do this too. So there is a huge confidence factor in that. And there is no doubt it's, it changes people's lives. Uh, I, I, you know, when I first went out there and I went to the first meeting, I'm hearing Ken talking about changing people's lives and changing people's lives across the world. And I'm thinking, oh my, you know, okay, whatever, you know, let, let me, let me get my packet and get out of here. I wouldn't, so I can go home and get ready to ride. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you really do see that. And so, uh, you know, one of the reasons, one of the reasons I've been such a big supporter uh, and trying to help in every way I can, because I believe in what Leadville's doing. And the thing that 
really, really got me is my path to getting out of poverty was certainly family and friends that were supportive and believed in you. But the other thing was, is education. And so when, when I heard what, you know, the Leadville legacy was all about and supporting these high school kids of getting some type of education after high school and working towards some type of discipline and work, whether it be college or mechanics schools or whatever, man, I'm like, okay, this I'm in, this is, this is wonderful because that, that's granted I had, you know, my, this man come to my life became my dad. My mom was unbelievable. All my brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and, and family around me. But, you know, then I was able to go get an education because of that. Right. So it's not, you know, you're, they're not just making a difference in the life of people riding the 100 or coming doing the run or a silver rush or the stages. These kids coming out of high school, you know, this is the next generation and giving them an opportunity to sprout and grow because I, I literally took one of my friends back where I grew up and he saw where I grew up and he got really quiet, Cole. And he said, I said, are you okay? Everything good? He said, he said, you really grew up as poor as you say you did. I said, yeah. He said, we felt you were making a joke telling some of the stories you told. Right. <laughs> right? But because of... The community, like Leadville, people like Ken and Mary Lee, um, you know, I love hearing the stories about, like myself and others who have come out and been able to do the ride. But, man, I love hearing the stories about these high school kids. So there's so many good things about Leadville. Um, so, again, I'm going to go back to family, Cole. When I think of Leadville, I think of family and everybody pulling together. Well, yeah, that's beautiful. That's that's exactly what I think of too, actually. So very well said. It's been so much fun catching up with you today, and it's nice because it's the off season. Usually, we are in Leadville and we see each other. Is there anything else you want to share before I let you go today? Well, you know what I would encourage everyone to do is. Uh, step out, take a chance, sign up for Leadville, go out, go out and volunteer. Um, uh, you know, the, only, the reason I showed up is because it's like, okay, there's something to do. And Leadville Susie said, let's go do this. And my friend Cobby said, yeah, let's go do it. And I showed up and once we got there, we all got hooked. And, and, uh, it has made a huge, huge difference. Um, and in the process of, I've, I've been able to develop a really nice relationship with Ken and Mary Lee and with your mom, Pat, uh, you, which again, I know you have to go and I can tell you so many stories there, but I will tell you this real quick. In 2019, I crashed at, um, I finished, but I crashed over at the firecracker in Breck. I think it was three days later, three or four days later, I did the silver rush and oh gosh, I was hurting. And I came across, you know, when I started, I didn't think I was going to be able to do it. I got to the top of what's the Dutch Henry Hill. I oh. couldn't breathe. I had to push my bike up. I'm, I had one rib displaced, two cracked. Um, I took off, um, started feeling better. Um, Pass Barum, he, he and I talked a little bit, and uh, he offered me a job while on the course. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I told your dad, I said, I don't know if I'm going to do this. I just don't know how I'm going to do it. You know, he said a few things to me. and But the big thing he, he said is, like, just rub some mud on it. And uh, so anyway, I finished. And, man, it hurt, but I had a great time. And uh, and I actually finished 45 minutes faster than I finished in 2018. And, well, maybe I should break a rib every year. <laughs> and uh, But your dad showed up over at the house because we that, uh 
this was in 2019. We were, we were staying down in Doc's basement, and your dad showed up, and um, he's like walking really slow, and he's hanging on to this, you know, he's walking up the steps. And I went over to kind of put my arm around and say, Hi, can you? No, 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 no. I think I fell and broke a rib. And I looked at him, and he, and he goes, I know, rub some mud on it. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, anyway, Cole, I've enjoyed talking to you, but what I would say to people is Leadville is as magical as you hear Ken and Mary Lee and yourself talking about it. And I would encourage uh, everyone to go out and um, participate if they can. And granted, the way that I've continued to participate, as you know, I continue to volunteer because I believe in the whole product of what's going on there and, and the things that are, be, are supported. So it's more than a bike ride. It's It really is changing people's lives and making a difference in people around the world. And I love walking into a restaurant or some somewhere and have on my Leadville jacket and people will Google it and come over and talk to me about it. And, uh, and so we're, we're, we've got more people I think coming this year. Uh, I know one kid, when I say kid, he's like 38. Of course, that's a kid to me, Cole. Uh, he volunteered. He's coming out to race this year. And um, I, I can't wait to see him cross the finish line. And he'll probably cross it before I do. Uh, but I can't wait to see him at the finish line and just see the joy and excitement in his face. And he's bringing his wife and his, his, his kid. And really, I get more excited now watching that happen than actually crossing the finish line myself. So don't misunderstand me. I like crossing that finish line, getting the medal put on by Mary Lee, getting a hug from Ken and stuff. I, I love it. But then when I turn around, I watch the others come across the finish line. We train together and we work. There's nothing better. Nothing. And that's the magic of Leadville. So that's all I have to say. Well, there's not a <laughs> doubt in my mind about that because I met you as kind of an annoying volunteer and today we leave each other as loving brothers so yes we do uh, here's to many more and we'll see you this summer at home all right cool love you brother i'll talk to you soon love you too randall well there you have it leadville family the key the silver bullet to success per randall bennett is working hard so i hope you learned something there today Definitely, that's going to get you to that finish line come August. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Please don't forget to give us a like and subscribe wherever you're getting your podcast. And as always, Leadville family, we can't wait to see you at home. We can't wait to see you in Leadville. <laughs>